Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Flavor Text Podcast. I'm the host that's the reason Time Warp was banned, Marina. And I'm a 3-3 green elk, Sunny. And we are coming back with episode two of the podcast today. Um, we are continuing our read of the Thran novel. And can I just start by saying, um, holy crap, we got like... I think about 50 listeners for episode one, which yeah, is insane. Yeah, which is really so. exciting for our first episode. So Thanks. welcome back if you're from that first episode listening in. Thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you so much. Uh, I want to definitely give a shout out to uh, all of our friends at the uh, MTG Vorthos Reddit who were uh, giving us lots of fun comments. I'm especially, uh, especially shooting out some apologies to the unlucky soul who took psychic damage from our uh, direct verbatim quotes of the Thran. Sorry, there's gonna be more. If you think that's bad, we had to read it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, shout out to uh, to a very successful first episode, and we're hoping to uh, keep it coming and keep it funnin', I guess. Yeah, funnin', you know. You don't have to do too much to make this funny, because I'll tell you right now, most of the Thran just writes itself. It yeah. really feels like it because it takes itself way seriously and if you just think about it for two seconds outside of the book you're just like wait a minute minute. give me a second (sighs) well speaking of outside the book um before we get into our actual chapter summaries and discussions of the day i wanted to take a little uh take a walk down memory lane uh that was uh not initially walked by me so um I think we've mentioned we've got quite a few friends who are into Magic the Gathering that dragged us into it kicking and screaming, one of whom is my fiancé. And my fiancé listened to the uh, the first episode we did and was like, okay, you guys need some of the actual history behind Yawgmoth and the Thran in terms of the card game and in terms of when and how the book was published. And bless his heart, he put together a kind of like a little dossier uh, with some really interesting history that I'm going to read aloud here fresh for the podcast today. We'll put a link to the document in the description because he links a lot of references to things that have since been deleted, I guess. He had oh, wow. to he had to way back machine some of this. So this is some fun history that even some seasoned listeners may not know the whole story the for. deep down nitty gritty lore. This the, is what we're... Fucking do it. This is the flavor text. So, let's begin. Um, so, he says, starting out, so the Thran came out in December 1999, right after the October release of Mercadian Masks. Back then, the cards were released in three-part sets known as blocks, and the books would be released in parallel in sets called cycles. For example, the books in the Artifact Cycle correlate to the Urza block from 1998 to 1999, followed chronologically with the Masks block and the Masquerade Cycle from 1999 to 2000. And then after that, we have the Invasion block and the Invasion Cycle from 2000 to 2001. Here's where it gets wild. The third was written as a prequel to the Artifact Cycle and as the first part of the Invasion Cycle, but was written while the Masquerade Cycle was in progress. <laughs> so that's kind of wild as it is, and, and Magic the Gathering books are wild on their own. But this one is particularly off the wall because it exists out of time. It is a side project designed to fit a long-completed series, a series in progress, and a series that hadn't even been drafted yet. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So some interesting trivia for cards at the time that you may or may not be familiar with, Sunny. 
the Urza block, which is what this is written during but is a prequel towards, is known as the most powerful block ever printed. It features cards like Time Spiral, Memory Jar, Talarian Academy, Windfall, Fluctuator, and more. Um, for example, if I recall, Time Spiral is a one in blue, you take an extra turn card. No downsides. A two mana... Two mana extra turn. In contrast, when... Um, that seems a little broken, doesn't it? It, it? Yeah, in contrast, the card for extra turns that I play in my Maestro deck uh, is Alchemist Gambit. And that's the one where, unless you pay like a seven mana cleave cost, you lose after the end of the extra turn. Oh yeah, I like that card. It's a fun card. Fun card. Would recommend. Um, so, the power level for this block was so high, it initiated a period known as the first Combo Winter, in which unprecedented number of card bans were pushed through all formats, and because of that, the following block was massively nerfed and deliberately designed to underperform in hopes to get the game back to playable. As such, the Masks block is considered to be one of the weakest blocks ever printed, featuring a lot of self-defeating archetypes like mercenaries and mongers, and other clunky mechanics with wild downsides like fading and mystic effects. Um, I did um, watch the video that my fiancé links here that explains a few of these effects. Uh, I think my favorite is fading, where it's like, all right, you can play this monster and you lose it in X amount of turns. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it's, it's fading. Oh, I guess. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Is it good? No. <laughs> Not really. Not really. <laughs> is, is it worth blight? No. Um, anyway, let's look at some art design history for Yawgmoth. Yay! Uh, as a continuation of this, because uh, at this point, the Magic the Gathering community had long been wondering what Yawgmoth actually looked like. Now, you know, coming at this from the future... We have his, you know, published sexy self. But when this book was published and when a lot of this content was published, um, it was really rare to have legendary creatures from the plot printed on cards, especially because I don't even know if legendary was a thing yet at the time, maybe. Because I, I, re I remember seeing some old cards like Summon Legendary. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like it was... It, and I don't know how old those cards that I saw were. That's fair. I, I remember a lot of the, like, Legendary wasn't a starting thing. Like, it was eventually implemented in, so it's possible it was implemented in around that time. Yeah, it seemed like it was more of a subtype rather than... Yes. So what uh, my fiancé mentions here is in the Urza block, out of 621 cards, only six Legendary creatures were printed. Those creatures were Karn, Multani, Baron, Rain, Rowfellows, and Radiant. I know one of those names. <laughs> While uh, characters like Yogmoth, Urza, Mishra, Gix, uh, a bunch of others were nowhere to be found. However, the art teams had a way around the lack of direct printings. They would depict the characters on cards that were not explicitly their own. For example, while Urza didn't have a card until 2019, we had seen him depicted in several instants and sorceries throughout the Urza block in cards such as Opportunity and Blessed Reversal and plenty more. Alternatively, characters like Teferi have non-legendary creature cards where they were explicitly depicted, in this case the card Disruptive Student. So where was Yawgmoth in all this? He had some cards in the Urza block, but was not explicitly depicted on any of them. But curious fans had another place to look. In March 1994, there was a set released called Antiquities, with a card known as Yawgmoth Demon, I'm showing the image to Sonny here who hasn't oh. seen it yet. Yeah. Oh, that's a lanky boy. <laughs> He's a gnarly little boy. Um, so it's critical to note 
that this card was printed before the set Legends in June of 1994. Legends was the expansion immediately after Antiquities, and as its name suggests, it introduced legendary creatures for the first time. There we go. So this allows for plot-relevant characters to be made distinct from the chaff. So could this card be the intended appearance of Yawgmoth? For years, this was the sole point of fan speculation with no confirmation or denial. If this was uh, actually our you know, nasty little sewer boy or whatever. But prior to the descriptions in the Thran, this was the only visual that existed. However, in June 2001, Inquest Gamer Magazine published this blurb with some imagery for the boy. Yeah, that's some eldritch horror abomination shit. So for people who are um, not familiar with the look, uh, like I said, this will all be linked with pictures in the uh, description, but he's depicted that way in the card. I think it's called Yogmoth's Vile Offering and Toxic Deluge. It's his kind of like... God, how do I even describe that? It's it's a bony, cloaky, dome-headed kind of thing. Yeah, it's like a giant monstrosity if you imagine it being with exposed bone and made out of flesh and bone and pestulous. Pe- Is there bone in there? There's bone. Yeah, there might be bone in there. <laughs> There's some bone and some flesh. There might be some flesh in there, too. Only a little. Just a little. So, first actual published visual of Yogg was that. Why would why did they do it in a magazine? Like, That's a they're big question. bad. <laughs> they're, they're big bad that they're like, yeah, no, this is this is the guy that we're all going against. Can you imagine, like, you're, like, the Lord of the Rings movies are coming out and, like, Sauron's visuals get dropped in, like, a freaking like, magazine off the shelf from, like, a, a grocery store. It's yeah, just, like, just, like, <laughs> maybe, like, People or Us Weekly, and it's just, like, why are you here? Why are you here? What are you doing? So... Yep, that nasty appearance was the first formally recognized commission art of Yawgmoth, but it depicts him as he was intended to appear in the invasion cycle of 2001 along with the release of the magazine. So there's still no canonized art design for the original stupid sexy Yawgmoth. The real surprise comes much later. A slow burn that started in July 2005 with the release of 9th edition in which a re-release of Yawgmoth Demon was printed with new art. And I will show you new art. Still some nasty little boys. I cannot see what is going on in there. That is a mess of limbs. There is a mess of limbs. His head's kind of in the middle there. It's that kind of long Is it like that kind of alien like xenomorph? Yeah, a little bit. And he's got the two wings hands, like kind of like wyvern. It's not a good design. It's not a good design. Like, I... I'm sorry, Pete Venters. There's just too much going on here. But yeah, you gotta you gotta slim that thing down. Let's let's talk about this card. So as this card got released, you know, there's still spe- fan speculation going on. Like, is this what Yawgmoth looks like? Blah blah. Uh, but it's not until three years later that we get some sort of talk about this. In 2008, during a Q&A session on Magic the Gathering's website, the blurb for the art direction commissioned for this new version was released to the public. So here is the art direction. Color, black. Location, Phyrexia. Action, show Yogmoth, who is an enormous flying abomination of Phyrexian origin, a necrotech setting. It should have two horns and wings, but the rest is up to you. Should be a horrifying flesh-slash-metal hybrid. See, as an artist, <laughs> if I were to receive this, I would ask questions. 
You know, that's fair. There's a lot that's vague. I, I like, I'm actually so curious as to some of the behind the scenes there of how many questions they're allowed to ask or that sort of thing. Because like, I can tell as sets have gone, because I've looked at some of the older sets and like, obviously I'm playing the newer sets that like, they've got canon appearances for characters now. Like this is the kind of thing where you couldn't do something this vague for um, fucking Chandra or Liliana. Yeah, because like, they have a distinct look. Mm-hmm. But, like, this was in 2005, 2008, so that's, like, what, at most, it's gotta be, like, 12 years since the game started, so it's not like they were still in that early period where they didn't have, like, a defined flavor of what they were going for. What I find very frustrating, and I think is the case for the writing as well, is that they don't have in-house artists like artists that do they don't have a collaborative environment where everybody's working together everybody sees like one person may have a design for this character and it's passed around and everybody's like okay so this is the look we're going with Mm -hmm. and so yeah and like Because I would argue that there's got to be some continuity there. Because especially, like, nowadays, like I said, they've got those distinct looks for characters. They've got, like, most of the Crimson Vow cards, for example, all seemed very thematically similar. So, like, they had to have had some... Yeah, the art is entirely cohesive. So it's like, well, I know that they have a, a smattering of artists that they tend to hire... And I would love to, you know, maybe I can, we can do some like research on the back burner and see if any of the artists have spoken out about, um, about what's going on there. Because I'd be curious how much direction they get. And especially with that direction, like, man, you could take that so many ways. Just like, okay, two horns and wings and is a Borg. You know what? Mm. I want to do that. I want to take that art direction. Do it. And I'm going to make. Yogmoth. Do it. Make a Yogmoth and I'm, put it on the official flavor text Tumblr. Oh yeah. my god, we made a Tumblr. Um, yeah, I guess that's a. Th- this is a good point. Is I need to drop that. Um, what did we just call it? Like the flavor text podcast at tumblr.com. We can link it in the yeah. description. But for any of Sunny's art, which you're a very good artist, I want oh, to. I want to uh, put that forward. Um, they've already done a, uh, a bunch of sketches of the stupid, sexy Yogmoth. If you're curious how they've viewed my impressions thus far, mm-hmm. we'll also post links to anything we find funny or interesting. Like on God, I have to post that meme about the Phyrexian urinal. I, I have to spread. You the joy. are nothing but that in uh, it's, spirit. It's just I'm gonna just okay to describe it to our listeners and in a. In a will be linked on the Tumblr. Um, it's this legend of an artist who just draws Yogmoth walking up to a urinal. Like, y- you see, like, just... I, I, this is kind of, I guess, not safe for work if you think that a man pissing is not safe for work. But shows no genitalia, just, you know, he's turned around, he's pissing, like, just black oil into this urinal, and then as he's walking away, like, you see the urinal come to life with, like, this fucking, like, demon face on it. (laughs) Literally 
Discord nickname, Alexian <laughs> Urinal. Like, I'm not even going to be doing it justice. Like, I swear, it's funnier when you see the actual thing. Please just go and look at my reblog of it because, oh my god, it's like my favorite Magic the Gathering meme ever. I don't think anyone's ever going to top it. I digress. We'll have some of Sunny's art on here and that meme. Let's continue with our walk down memory lane because we're not quite done yet. So, we have this article that uh, seems to confirm that this Arth is supposed to be explicitly Yawgmoth. So, in this article, Monty Ashley with the Magic Team made a very powerful statement that the Antiquities version of the Yawgmoth demon was, quote, a look at raw, unfiltered Yawgmoth, and that the art description for the 9th edition version seems to settle the question pretty definitively. This information was promptly taken down. This is where it's been redacted. But you can see the redacted session in the uh, link to the document that we'll be providing to you all. So that's where he was doing some of the Wayback Machine to try and even find where this was discussed. Because I remember I'd seen people talking about Yawgmoth Demon and people were just like, yeah, no, people thought it was Yawgmoth, but it was never confirmed to be Yawgmoth. It was just people going, you know, crazy. And this, to me, seems like, no, it's not people going crazy. It's that they're actively retconning themselves and uh, gaslighting us. So thanks, Wizards of the Coast. Appreciate it. Like, no, you didn't see that. What are you talking about? Uh, to continue and finalize our walk down memory lane, we'd see fully acknowledged canon Yawgmoth on a card for the first time in 2018 in the Dominaria expansion depicting his fleshy demon form in Yawgmoth's vile offering. But again, this was not his original romance look. Uh, it's just showing Sunny here. Oh, is he just the huge behemoth of, yes. a, of a whatever? <laughs> yes, that's that's Yogg. Uh, this oh is what he God. gave. He gave up his romance form to become this. <laughs> Um, he's also in the sky of Toxic Deluge, which came out in 2021. What the fuck? Looks like. And then we wouldn't see the true stupid sexy Yogg until 2019 with the release of Modern Horizons, where his human appearance from the Thran was canonized. This is a whole 20 years post-publication. So we've got Yogg. You've seen that card. We also get Rebek. Yeah. Does not look like she does on the book cover. Not at all. We also have Glacian, who looks way too healthy. <laughs> he looks he looks actually his age and not a little gremlin cunt man. It's true. We also have some art for our favorite little crime boy, Gix, who we'll be talking I've about a lot today. I've never seen Gix before. Never seen Gix. He's on multiple cards. But behold, Crab Lord Starscream. <laughs> <laughs> so for, for people who are curious, uh, this is the Vanguard card that came out in 1997. I don't like it. And he will be depicted three more times during Urza Saga in 1998 on the card Bereavement. There he is on the left. And I'm going to read some of the flavor text for this because I love I it. Saw, you know what I'm seeing when I saw Gix in my mind? What are you seeing? I'm seeing a tiny little New York cabbie, like with a little newsboy cap, <laughs> but he's just like... a little fucked up. <laughs> That's just like the, the the fucking taxi driver NPC that we appropriated for the D and D campaign. That's yes. just that's just Gregory. I'm gonna make know. this connection. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, you know, I can see Gix as a little cat man. I think that's a good look for him. Yeah, just like maybe maybe he's a demon. Maybe he's maybe a, he has horns. Maybe he's like a Danny DeVito, like kind of squat, kind of kind of stocky. <sighs> yeah, I'm I'm trying to give you inspiration for for your next series oh, of sketches. No, now I have to draw Gix. Now you have to draw Gix. I mean, these chapters do focus him more than not at all. 
Um, some other cards. Oh, I was going to read the flavor text. Grief is as useless as love. <laughs> Which is that from? It's from Bereavement. <laughs> Amazing. We also have Here He Is an Oppression uh, with a character we will eventually meet, Zoncha. Man, Gix, you look so cool. I don't like it. <laughs> and then we have uh, Tainted Ether, which shows him stepping out through a little portal there. Well, it's just... It's not a little guy there. He's not a little guy. Gix despised the Sylvan Morass. The gouge that the portal had torn in the forest was the only pleasing sight. Oh, fuck. I love, I love flavor text, especially for uh, some of these older cards. Go figure why we made this podcast. That is why we made this podcast. So that's that's the extent of the history. So all of the card art we discussed, uh, all of the links we've talked about, uh, that will be in a uh, Google Doc that will link in the description. Uh, thank you to my fiancé for putting that together because, wow, magic history is something else. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, and with that, though, and we're talking about our little crime boy... Is it time to go into our chapter summaries? I think it's time. Oh, let's get on in there. All right, so today we have chapters three through five of the Thran. We have a lot to get through, so I think let's just hop on in there and get on in there. So, uh, as always, I've got my chapter summaries. Uh, I'll allow stops and pauses when we've got... Because I got uh, choice. Choice. Choice quotes. Choice quotes. Choice quotes. There's so many choice quotes. So let's just dive on in there. Chapter three. Yogmoth awakens in his beautiful Halcyon apartment. The city around him is gorgeous, effervescent, ever arising upward in a design Rebek calls the architecture of ascension, transforming all who enter. Yogmoth has been having glistening, oily dreams about sweet, beautiful Rebek. It's too bad they're soiled by her carrying around her disease-ridden husband. The literal quote being, His dreaming eye had seen her approach, bearing a perfect world in her arms, except it hadn't been a perfect world, but her disease-ridden husband. <laughs> like, y'all? Let's start, y'all. Like, this is... This is the pinnacle of this chapter right now. No, but it gets better. It gets better. It goes. starts off strong and ends off strong. It ends strong. Uh, Yogg starts talking aloud to himself because this is just a trait he has. And he talks about, I'm going to fuck up the pronunciation of this, Pathesis. Pathesis, I think, is, I think it's you know, Pathesis. I've, I've got Google. Do you have because, the, like, let me look at it. Because it's P-H-T-H-I-S-I-S. And that Spices. is the name of the disease. That but it's is... also like a clinical term, isn't it? So, yeah. Looking into a little history here. So that's the disease that he's named as what's uh, wrecking Glacian right now. But pathesis uh, is also a term for pulmonary tuberculosis uh, oh. or similar diseases. It, w- it is a wasting disease. Yeah, that's right. It's literally wasting disease. Now I'm going to see. Can I pull up like a... Oh, yeah. Merriam-Webster. I'm going to... I'm going to turn up the, the sound on my phone and hear the live pronunciation of this. Let's go. Come on. Thysis. Thysis. Okay. I was right. You were right. It's just thysis. I, I preferred fucking it up as hard as possible, but like... It helps to know what we're talking it about. It does help to know what we're talking about. So it's thysis. If you hear me say thysis, it's because it's spelled like that. Uh, the, it really is. The, the language is... Um, 
language is a thing that humans have evolved to communicate with each other, and boy, do we suck at it. Eloquence is key. <laughs> Eloquence is key. So Yogmoth st- starts talking about Thysis. Uh, this is the disease that Glacian has. Uh, he refers to it as progressive degeneration, and as we talked about, it is a real-life term for wasting disease. So almost... If you know the term, a bit of a sort of red herring, and I, and I can go into that a bit more as we um, talk about this, but essentially what Yogg has deduced is that magic has accelerated the disease and allowed secondary infections to take hold, but the primary cause is eluding him. But he might just find out the source today. I'm so excited. In search of answers, he's bound for the caves of the damned. <gasps> This is capitalized in the book. I need you to understand. Uh, this is where the man who stabbed Glacian will be found. So a bit of history on the Caves of the Damned, which is given in this point in the book. The caves are a penal colony where all of the thieves and brigands and low lives and poor people are shipped down to live the rest of their lives. I may have said the you know, that last part tongue-in-cheek, but that's kind of the truth of it. Yeah. They either work together to survive the caves or die. In the past, they've sometimes learned to work together a little too well. They've threatened incursion until minor war squabbles happened. And enough of those have happened, in fact, that the uh, Halcyon is just like, well, fuck that noise. We're sealing off all but one entrance. We can't deal with y'all climbing out of your trash heap. Fuck that. Yeah, that that's that's a that's a statement. that's a that's a sound moral decision. It's a sound moral decision. We're gonna just lock everybody that we don't like in the caves of the damned. Hmm. So there's only one more entrance, and it's under heavy guard. Prisoners are still regularly shipped down there, and technically visitors are allowed down there. They can even take armaments, but if a citizen goes down armed and returns without a weapon, they're not allowed back up. It's like you either bring back your weapons, or you might as well just be a prisoner down there. They don't want to arm the people down there. They don't want another revolution. No foreshadowing. No, not at all. None whatsoever. Don't worry about it. As Rebek had once said, Halcyon was a place of ascension. But some people preferred to descend. Literal quote. Literal quote. God. Anyway. Today, Yogg is going to be one of those people. (laughs) He dons his traveling gear and armor and prepares for his journey with ease. After all, Yogg feels at home in the company of the damned. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure he does. There is a long circling path of descent into the caves. And actually, as this was being described, I was unironically thinking of like Carlsbad Caverns. Um, they've got- I'm not going to lie. That's kind of what I got to. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we know. I mean, that is what we know. Like, that's literally just, you know, a few hours south of us. But um, so Carlsbad, you can look up pictures of it. Like, there's a lot of caves. It's, it's a huge, ginormous fucking cave system. But the main entrance to it has just kind of this long, it's, winding set of stairs. Or not long, stairs. It's, it's just a path. It's a slowly descending path that goes down. Yeah, it's like it's like going on a hike, but down. Mm-hmm, pretty much. And that's kind of what I was picturing here. So if you want some visuals, uh, go look up the Carlsbad Caverns entrance. And that's kind of, I think, close to what this was describing. But that path is too slow for Yogg. He... <laughs> That's this too slow. fucker. This motherfucker. This fucker. This motherfucker prepares his repelling gear because this is Assassin's Creed now. I mean, you gotta show off, I guess. Oh, it's not even just this. So as he's preparing his repelling gear, the guards are yelling at him that he's gonna be attacked the minute he sets foot down there. They're gonna strip your weapons. They're gonna kill you. They're gonna eat you after they kill you. There's nothing but cannibals, madmen, and monsters. To which Yogg responds, 
madmen, monsters, and me before fucking jumping off and rappelling down the cave. <laughs> I'm not making this up. This is just in the book. I'm trying so hard not to scream out loud. <laughs> like, I really... The only way this could be better is if you flipped them off on the way down, but, like, it's the 90s. That's it's not allowed to happen. so... That's my favorite. Bad. That's my favorite scene of the chapter. It's no. so good. That's my second favorite scene of the chapter. Uh, I will. I will say my next one when we get there. But just is it soon? It's soon. Because I think that one's mine too. <laughs> but just when I I think of the line because he this is verbatim he says out loud madman monsters dot 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 and me it makes me think of the fucking meme and I sent this to you. But there's this Tumblr meme going around, and I think, like, the gist of it is... Oh, the orangutan? Yeah. Right. And me. <laughs> where it's just like, there's seven billion people in the world, you're not that important, to which someone responds with seven billion people and me. me. <laughs> it's just got this picture of a fucking orangutan this just baby making orangutan. a face. <laughs> so that's the, the vibe I was getting here. Um, but, like, Yogg, holy shit, dude. Can't have edge, 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 edge. This isn't even edgy. Like, this is literally, like, Monty Python shit. Like, this is just slapstick at this point. It's so over the top <laughs> that it just comes back to just... What? Yeah, just what? <laughs> why? 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 Why is he doing this? Well, continuing on, he descends, scaring the shit out of an old lady on the way down. Like... <laughs> They they spend time describing him repelling, landing in front of this lady who's making her way up the path, like literally just kind of T-posing at her before continuing to repel no, he down. he smiles <laughs> sparklingly at her and then goes back down, continues. And if you can imagine, you're coming up, you're, you probably go down there to heal somebody or to like do some service for somebody down there. This old lady probably doing her due diligence and... You know, being a good person. And this fucker, this fucking Batman comes down <laughs> on his fucking rappel. Can you imagine walking down the Carlsbad Caverns, like, descent, and then, like, you're, like, halfway down, and then you just see Batman rappelling down. Yeah, it's like... And then he stops and deadass looks at you. Like, meet your eyes. <laughs> and then keeps going. He gives you a, a smile, and then jumps down again and it's just like how are you supposed to take that <laughs> you don't you do what she did you just keep going <laughs> this poor old woman god so they're they describe a scene of of Yogmoth continuing to repel uh, eventually making it to the end of his rope and he shines a lantern down on the crowd that has gathered below him and they're all dirty filthy prisoners <laughs> Like, they're all horrible, horrible I don't know what you want for people living in a cave. The caves of the damned, no less. Yeah. Uh, uh, The most dirty and filthy of them all is the eight-foot-tall one in the middle that's just glowering at him. Uh, Yogg is politely asked to leave. (laughs) Yeah, that was the And Yogg politely tells the crowd that he's there to heal them. Uh, The giant points out that Yogg has, like, five swords strapped on him. And Yogg retorts that he isn't an idiot to come down here unarmed. Like, I'm a healer, but... I'm a healer, but, you know... <laughs> <laughs> I need... I'm, I'm, I'm not dumb. I'm not dumb. Uh, Yogg tells the group that Glacian above uh, is diseased. And he's seeking out the man who stabbed him in hopes uh, that will lead him to help find a cure for the disease. 
this disease is also ravaging the people in the Caves of the Dam, so he points out that this will also provide a cure for the people, but mid-monologue, someone cuts his rope, causing him to plummet into the crowd below. <laughs> he just fucking eats it! But... But he doesn't because he rolls like a fucking nat 20 reflex save but after falling so funny <laughs> to be cut off literally and figuratively. And I figuratively. was like, ha <laughs> Got a healthy... Got him. Shot. Got him. But yeah, so Yogg falls 30 feet and does not break his ankles. Uh, he does roll that nat 20 for a reflex save and uh, rolls into place. After which he lands a sneak attack on the giant's ankles with his fucking five swords as he rushes to a better defense position. The two scuffle briefly before the giant demands his name. Yogg politely introduces himself and asks the name of the giant. The giant's name is Doran. But that doesn't matter because Yogg chucks a poison dart directly into his skull, killing him instantly. <laughs> this one line that he says, all but you, you will be dead. And I was... <laughs> And that's what I got from that one. And then this motherfucker makes the stupidest decision of his life, announcing to the crowd of a hundred people that he's only got five more of those. Yeah, he's like, choose carefully who you want to die. It's like, don't come at me, I've got five more of these insta-kills. It won't take care of all of you, but it will take care of five of you. But it will take care of five of you. Guaranteed. I think that was my favorite scene. It was just like, y'all. Yeah, why would you say that? Why would you say that? Why would you not say, I've got a hundred more of these in my back pocket, like, come or, at me? Or be like mysterious, it's like, and who knows how many else I have. Yeah, right. Because that would have been, you know, kind of cool. Kind of cool. It could have been kind of, you know, give y'all a little badass moment, but now he's just. But now it's just kind of. This is a dork. This is fucking like Kira and Elle at the tennis courts level of like, God, what are you fucking doing? It's like, why are we playing these? What? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> so, despite this, the crowd is intimidated by his five one-shot kills, uh, and uh, they don't rush him. And so Yogg asks for someone to take him to the man who stabbed Glacian, and they're hesitant. But eventually, this boy speaks up, and despite the crowd's very distinct attempt to hush him, Yogg convinces the boy to lead him onward. And threatens the rest of the masses that if they touch him, uh, touch that boy, five of you will die. Five of, at least <laughs> five of you will die. At least five of you are And dead. that kind of works. <laughs> They're like, like, oh, oh, oh shit, oh shit, I could be one of the five. <laughs> oh my, oh my god. The, the chances are low. Turns out, the people down here were smart enough to make a quarantine zone for the sick, which is one point for Caves of the Dam, zero points for Halcyon. And then we get the name of the man who stabbed Glacian. A man named Gix. Our boy! So, I want to talk about the ending of this chapter because it's so very obvious this was written post the Brothers War book. And I can't wait for you to get there because, as I mentioned, Gix has such a prominent role and is such a character that, like, Clearly they were expecting the people who were reading this to have read Brothers War for that name drop to matter, because it ends with them, like, and his name was Gix. And yeah. I remember when I first read this, because I hadn't read the Brothers War, I had no clue who Gix was, and I was just sitting here like, that's a name. Yeah, it's like, what a, three letters, good job. Good job, okay, alright, and then, like, you can assume you're supposed to know this, but I think this is just so funny if you have, like, no clue, like, who any of these yeah, characters are. like, oh, are. okay. It's just like, Gix. and his name was Steve. 
the fuck is Steve's? Who, who? Why is this name worth a like, final Like, why line? are you making this so dramatic? God, this whole chapter is just Yogg being fucking... It's uh, confusing <laughs> because it has his, like, inner monologue being very edgy, very edgy, very edgy. But at the end, I'm kind of thrown through a loop because when he enters and sees the quarantined people, he, like, collapses and holds on to this child for stability mm-hmm. because he's so taken by the sight. And I'm like, what emotion is he feeling? Is it, <laughs> is it pity? Is it, is it, like, disgust? Is he horrified that people have gotten to this point? Like, what? And my, my note here is, what's in your heart, Yogg? <laughs> Yogg, what's going on in what's, there? What, what, what is your hamster wheel running towards? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I don't understand why you're upset about this. And I don't understand. I can't get a read. Like, this is so funny with the future knowledge that this man has just committed war crimes. At this right. point, right? Like, but he's coming here. And, like, here's the thing. With no knowledge of this character and with no knowledge of what he's done or what he's going to become, I would have read this as, oh, my God, he's pitying the people down here who are forced to live in squalor, who are yeah. forced to live in disease. And, like, I think any sane person would look at that situation and go, what the fuck? Yeah, like, people have to live like this down seeing here? Seeing the horror of the poverty and the impoverished and just being... Because it says, like, he hides his eyes from the sight before him. Mm-hmm. Like, he can't look at it. Yeah, and it's just and like... it's like, oh, is that compassion? Like, I'm really not sure. And this, again, just goes back to what I was saying with the first few chapters, where I genuinely don't know if... J. Robert King, come find me. Knew he was supposed to be writing a villain for the first half of this book. Like, yeah, it... It's Especially in, like, the next chapter, which is a thing. Oh, Lord, is the next chapter a thing. these three chapters have given me whiplash of character. Like, there is no... Like, I understand complex characters. I'm not dumb. No. I can understand <laughs> people are multifaceted. People can have... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the line that's going to make every one of my friends strangle me. Complex motivations are a thing. <laughs> But, like, this is... I I cannot stress enough for anybody who is not reading along and is just listening to these summaries. Yogg goes from being sympathetic hewer protagonist to nasty little gremlin boy in, like, every other sentence. It's just insane how much of, like, the character whiplash there is. And I look at this, and I look at, like... Again, J. Robert King, come find me. But, like, dude... What was your intention? What did you want us to think about this man? Like, (laughs) it just doesn't feel like it was intentional. It doesn't feel like it's like a gotcha, like we said last time. Like, it, Mm. it's because these moments where he has, like, bits of compassion are, feel very genuine. This is, I'm going to make my... I'm gonna make the hot take that is gonna make a lot of uh, a lot of internet people potentially throw knives at me. But like, so villains are popular. 
I think that's not a controversial statement. You've got so many people, and like, you know, God help me, I've been on this internet scene a while, and I, I lived through like the 2012 Tumblr era. God help me, what a trash fire that was. I'm looking as if you weren't part of it, but whatever. <laughs> anyway. People get attached to their villain Blorbos, and it's the kind of thing... No, those are poor little Meow Meows, actually. They they are now, but but to the people then, they were Blorbos. They were Blorbos. Um, and a lot of, I think, what people cling to with villain characters is they'll see, like, a human moment, and they're like, oh, this villain's complex, they've got a soft spot, I can reach them, I can fix them, I can be the one for them. And, like... I feel like my actual hot take here is that if Magic the Gathering was in any way, shape, or form popular, like, this would be what people would fucking cling to who were, like, the Yawgmoth stands, which yeah. is like, oh, he's he's got compassion for the poor and the diseased. He wants to help them. And it's like, my brother in Christ, he's a eugenicist. It's, yeah, it's not... It... It's very tonally jarring it's so because it's it doesn't make a villain humanized it makes your villain a romance hero it's you can't decide whether or not your villain is a romance hero an actual villain or like abbott and Const- abbott and constello like yeah like <laughs> with, you, the, with the fucking rebelling down the goddamn gate do you want your big bad flesh ridden horror monster or do you want a... Edward Cullen. Like, <laughs> here's this man who just went down a dark path. And not the ultimate evil ever. They really can't decide, and God help and me. It, you can tell. You, you can, can tell. tell. They don't know. You can just tell. And Nobody talked to anybody. They're like, we're going to have this villain called Yogmoth. Robert J. King. What was the art direction for this book? Come on, J. Robert King. I want to know. Please you divulge. T- please divulge your secrets. I'm so curious what your your pitch for this book was, and what the original thoughts were. I'm I'm once again asking people from Wizards of the Coast to reach out to me um, at the Flavor Text Podcast at gmail.com. We'll see. Shall we go into chapter four? Oh, God. Yeah, might as well. <laughs> I think this is a good segue into chapter four. Let's, let's do it. Chapter four takes place several months after chapter three. In the warm light of the morning sun, Glacian and Gix sit across from each other. If sparks could be flying between them, they would be. Angry sparks. Murder sparks. These two men fucking hate each other. They hate each other's guts. And it's a good thing that they're ravaged by the thesis. Because if they weren't, they'd be strangling each other with their bare hands. Grabbing Yogg's doctor tools to try and inflict as many stab wounds as possible. Speaking of, there's, there's only one thing these men hate more than each other. And that's stupid, sexy Yogg-moth. Here he comes! Yogg has been working his healing arts on the men for quite a while now. Scare quotes. Very much scare quotes. Interestingly... Gix is showing signs of improvement with Yogg's treatment, while Glacian only seems to be getting worse. But that's okay. Yogg's still on the job. Uh, I've got some. I've got some quotes here. Uh, this is this is one that I liked. He worked like an artist in a lofted studio, 
manic fits of inspiration interspersed with long periods of languished brooding. He paced furiously, improvised implements from cutlery, brewed foul concoctions, and all the while spoke to his subjects. <laughs> My author's note, uh, Yogg is losing his fucking mind. <laughs> yeah, it's like, is this... Is I love the cutlery is... one. That's the one that had me sit there like, are you putting a fork in this man? Like he's, he's like eating dinner and then suddenly he's just like, I knew it. I knew and it. And he grabs his spoon and just runs over to where the patients are. And kicks, like, kicks, you're never going to believe this. I've solved this. And then just stabs a spoon in him and it's like, why? God. So Yogg is trying a new brew today. He's trying a new salve, and both Gix and Glacian are suspicious of Yogg's intent. Glacian comments that Yogg really isn't trying to cure them. He's trying to cure the disease, thus caring nothing for his or Gix's comfort or health. And since Glacian is so famous and his brain is so big and so huge, and Gix infamous for stabbing him, all of Halcyon watches and encourages Yogg with bated breath. Yogg spends the morning taking lesion samples and applying salves onto the men's infections. Glacian comments that Yogg has apparently never heard of anesthetics, to which Yogg retorts that today he's heard of anesthetics. <laughs> like, you mentioned it, yes. Um, now I know. Mostly because Yogg has an appointment elsewhere that day, and he wants the two men to sleep through the effects of the salves. This is totally not because he wants Glacian to just be out for whatever he's going to be doing. Gix protests, but Glacian advised him to just sit and take it, or else Yogg won't be gentle. I wrote this. <laughs> I wrote this and then realized that that sounded really bad. I mean, Yogg's never gentle. Yogg's never gentle, and uh, that's unfortunate. The two men continue to bicker as Yogg knocks Gix out with an injection and then moves to Glacian. But Glacian insists he'd rather drink the sedative than take the injection because Yogg sticks enough things in him. (laughs) Take that. I mean... (laughs) Yogg sticks around to make sure that Glacian actually swallowed the sedative and then goes to change into his finest gear. Today, they're launching the foundation of the Thran Temple, which will be a crowning achievement for Rebek. Yogg tells the sleeping Glacian that he will inform Rebek that Glacian was too sick to attend. Joke's on him. Glacian fucking faked it. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad actually how he faked it too, because he actually started drooling on himself, and I thought that was a nice little touch on Glacian's end. Glacian expected to slide a hand when Yogg wasn't looking. He essentially did the -the over-the-shoulder chuck with the fucking sedative. And then just drools on himself. He he pretended to swallow, because there's a note where Yogg waits for him to actually swallow. So it's like, okay, I know Glacian's putting his big brain to use. And then Glacian pretends to pass out, drools a little on himself, and then as soon as Yogg's out of the way, he wakes up and he's like, Yogg's not going to stop me from being at my wife's ceremony today at her side where he belongs, not fucking Yogg He would see his wife's triumph. He would see the vast plane of stones she had assembled, stones Glacian had created. I mean, he still cares about his wife. He still cares about his wife. And I think, like, okay, we say that and as, as we're about to go into the chapter proper, I think it's 50% he cares about his wife and 50% he does not want to be cucked by Yogg. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it feels muddied. It's very muddied. So we're going to cut to Yogg. Yogg sits in his sedan chair. In those goddamn <laughs> sedan chairs. Uh, he's grown skilled at operating them and it's also the safest way to travel. 
The streets are currently unfriendly towards him. The citizens distrust and even fear the ex-exile. The guards harass him. And the Council of Elders are once again entertaining notions of banishing him. Here's another quote straight from the book. As always, Yogmoth could count only on himself. This was little matter. He was the most reliable person he knew. That's such a, a black thing to think. Like a black color. <laughs> color typing. <laughs> yeah, hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Don't. Are you saying Yogmoth's a black character? <laughs> In hate, a way, yeah. You know, I hate saying it like that. Like, I have, I have made so many statements in regards to Magic the Gathering colorings it, it, that have come off as just like, are you talking about African Americans? Like, are we racially stereotyping these people or are we talking about like... No, we are talking about the color typings of mana and the Magic the Gathering universe, of which there are five. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably familiar with that. Uh, yeah, not no. black is the uh, man of self. Black is the evil color. <laughs> it's, it, it's not supposed to be evil, Marina. What are you talking about? It's the, no, it's the evil color. It's a, it's about the self and betterment of the self. It is about the self and betterment of the self. And for pretty much most of the books we're going to be getting into in the next year, it's just evil. It's gonna be the evil color. I mean, there's we can a, only there's get a, so far with nuance here. There is a compilation book we'll read that's kind of like an intermission after um, after Brothers War, and the whole point or gimmick of that compilation is it's a bunch of short stories, but they're color themes. So it's like, okay, here's two red stories. Here's two white stories. And, like, I think the black stories were, like, the very... Either second to last or last ones. And the black stories are just, like, this is just stories about horrible, evil people. <laughs> and it's, just... it's... There's nuance. <laughs> I swear there's nuance. Black players back me up. But, uh... Yeah, as somebody who plays... A lot of black decks, like... God, I am a Rakdos player. I You're so thoroughly Rakdos. I am so thoroughly Rakdos. Trust me. I may be a selfish bitch, but I'm also... But you're passionate about passionate it. About it. <laughs> <laughs> but god damn, do you care a lot. God damn, do I care about being a selfish bitch. Alright, let's get back to Yogg. True black player. He's uh, using his sedan chair, and he flies over the city of Halcyon. He flies over noble houses, the great gray dome of the council hall, the grim hall of judgment. He zooms across the sky until he passes the looming wall of the amphitheater and sees beyond it the foundation of the Thran Temple. Since there's little room in Halcyon to construct new buildings, let alone a temple of this size, the foundation has been constructed on its side like a wall, which is... Holy fuck, I found that kind of fascinating. But it was weird. It was weird. Um, it resembles a huge window of stained glass with tens of thousands of power stones fitted tightly together. So, trying to explain this to people who are not reading, there, the Thran Temple will eventually be a floating fortress. Uh, spoilers for five minutes from now. Um, so they're starting with building the floor, which is going to be essentially that which going is going to be elevating the temple. Yeah, the, basically the structure and the foundation. It is literally the foundation. So the foundation is made up of tens of thousands of power stones, much like how the sedan chairs can levitate. Uh, this is like that, but for something that is going to be very big building-sized. So as Yogmoth approaches, uh, there's a he, he notices there's a huge crowd gathered today. In fact, it's possible the whole city is here for this crowning achievement, which unfortunately means that there is no parking. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I'm glad that that's a problem even then, even, even here in, where are we? Halcyon? Whatever. S yeah, so Yogg has to stay ascended in his chair for the ceremony. 
I, because these are floating chairs. So first of all, how many fucking sedan chairs must be occupying the space for there to be no space to put a chair down? Like, even if you could put a chair down, like, you have to go and stand somewhere. So, like, I'm assuming, like, there's so many people with... Why not just people stack just, the chairs? I don't people know. People are just tailgating. They are just tailgating. Anyway, getting bring over the, the no. Bring, <laughs> bring the barbecue. Bring the... Oh, my God. Anyway, someone ascends the vast gray dome of the council hall, which is one of the highest spots in the city. And she casts her shadow onto the foundation wall beyond. The morning light seems to wreath her like a halo, the most glorious vision Yogmoth had ever seen. Rebek, he whispers breathlessly. He does, and I was like, what are you doing? He's so gay. He's so in love right now. Rebek. My love. My love. Who I cannot ever, ever kiss because you're married. Rebek is so beautiful that the whole city cheers, Yogmoth with them. Uh, Rebek rewards the crowd with a speech, remarking that until this day, they could only build as high as their ancestors could ever build. But today, however, they're going to ascend. I hate that goddamn word now. <laughs> this is going to be like the new clarity. For oh me. my this god, like, just ascend. It's ascend, like, ascend, shut ascend, the fuck shut up. Shut the fuck up about ascension. It's their first step away from the chaos of the ground below. And like to like the floating city wasn't enough. No. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we our like first a... step. Sure, okay, whatever, Rebecca. Uh, the foundation of the temple is set free from the chains holding it to the ground. And slowly, the wall of crystal begins to rise. Rebecca claims that it will never fall from the sky. Wonk. <laughs> it will never fail. It will never fail. The Power Stones now cast a brilliance of rainbow light upon the city below, transfiguring the entire city from pure white to, well, rainbow. Uh, this, Gay. this is the shape where I look at this and go, so you know how when you when you take a magnifying glass outside and like, you know, the sun's out and like you aim it, like, you know, there's a whole, the whole stereotype about killing ants with like the yeah. magnification of the light. I don't think that's what's happening here. I don't think that's what's happening here, but I'm there's getting... a part of me that is like, what if it fucking did? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine Can you if imagine? it was just... It just moves into position and then like everyone in the crowd just starts melting. And like, once it's fully up, there's just this line that follows the sun. Like, up just black char of its beam destroying yeah. it. Can you imagine? Um, oh, if only. If only. So, it's not actually that super high in the air. In fact, it only just clears Rebek's head. And, no, she's still standing on top of the dome of the council chambers. So, it's like, imagine, like, you know, like a three-story building, and it's maybe floating a little higher than that, is my understanding. Still, it's it's a floating foundation. That's that's actually pretty radical. Yeah, and that that's is the, one day where the Thran Temple will be. Uh, but the way they say it is so fucking dumb. The way they say it's dumb. Um, if I may, go ahead, please. Its foundations would lie not in shakable bedrock, but in unshakable geometry. No one had ever thought to build on ideals instead of realities. What the fuck does that mean? I'm gonna build a house on spite. <laughs> I'm like, That's it's a be- it's beautiful. It's a beautiful sentiment, but it also doesn't make any goddamn sense. Thank you very much, Mr. King. Like, J. Robert King, please come find us because I'm. 
I would love to read your poetry. I would love to have a chat with you about ideals. They're tangible. Oh, They're real and tangible. God, Don't you they? forget it. I'm not forgetting it. Well, in fact, speaking of ideals, in a stunning act of metaphor, in order to reach the temple, is there connectable stairs? Is there going to be transportation? No. You have to jump to it. You have to jump onto the floating foundation in order to reach the temple. Talk about accessibility issues. Am I right, y'all? And it's like not even just fuck you if you're in a wheelchair because there's literally, I'll go into it in the next chapter. Rebek is like, yeah, no, I refuse to let the sedan chairs land here because that'll ruin the metaphor. It's like, girl. Like, girl, fucking. Not everybody can do that (laughs) bullshit. Girl. That's, that's like, me most of this chapter, girl. Here's the thing. I think that's intentional. I, I think that realization, it's like, oh, only like the super fit and the super, you know, like, I, I kind think. Kind of calls back to how her statues were of these ideal, picturesque ideal musculatures. Absolutely. Like, I think the, it's definitely, it's kind of like eugenics it's almost like we're we're only wanting like the abled and fit and you know etc cetera, etc cetera, to have access to this part of our city i literally have a note that says that it's like this ascension thing kind of seems a bit eugenicsy yeah it's like well you're calling yog the eugenicist but god after reading this fucking chapter like, hmm, <laughs> i think rebecca may also be one it's possible well and especially in chapter five like I I definitely think that's intentional. I think you are expected to look at that particular statement with a critical eye, and especially after getting the direct contrast of the Caves of the Damned. There's also another line here that talks about where the hospital lies, and it's like, it lay on the seventh of Halcyon's eight terraces. A place of illness and disease cannot reside at the highest pinnacle of the city, Mm -hmm. says Rebecca. And I'm like... Girl, girl, I got some, got some thoughts. Yeah, these are um, ideals, indeed. I guess. I guess those are beliefs you can have. Um, Rebecca is going to be the first to take the leap onto the foundation, and uh, I wonder for a brief minute if there's another universe out there where she just misses the fucking. Oh god, it can that would be so good? Just eats it. Just fucking eats it, like. I mean, I guess you're falling three stories. That's that's a pretty significant fall. But, like, man, makes you wonder. Uh, but no, she makes it, and her image is reflected from the stones of the foundation onto the city below. It is a triumphant moment, and she welcomes all of Halcyon to join her on the rooftops. And the people start scrambling to do so, and nobody falls. No, nobody, nobody, nobody eats shit making this. Um, Yogg, however, flies his chair over because he's a filthy cheater. Uh, but he doesn't land the chair on the on the foundation because God forbid you you know have any accessibility there. He instead jumps off his chair into Rebek's surprised but waiting arms. The two of them fall to the floor, laughing, joyous, arms and legs intertwined. Yog praises Rebek for having finally done it. In the distance, Glacian watches. The image of his wife tangled with stupid, sexy Yog moth, and I quote, almost killed him. The foundation of the temple made his very lesions fester. Take me away, he orders the man who wheeled him here. I cannot bear the glare of this thing. End chapter. 
Okay. All right. Okay. So, remember when I said, uh, what's in Yogmoth's heart? He just, like, when Rebecca lands successfully and turns back to the crowd, he's cheering out loud. Like, he's going like, yeah! Well, him, him saying anything out loud doesn't surprise me, because I get the impression this man, like, cannot shut the fuck up. Yeah, but, like, him having such a visceral, like, reaction to it and being, like, cheering out for that. It's easy to forget that months have passed since he's come to Halcyon, and I want to say the implication here is he's been hanging out with Rebek like, every day on like the Like, as, as much as he possibly can. But, like, you don't get any of that build-up. Like, they are zero to a hundred for each yeah, other. Yeah, there's just... It, it feels like payoff, but we didn't earn it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like... We missed the romance novel. We just yeah, completely missed it. Yeah, especially because they fall into each other's arms laughing joyously. That seems like a pinnacle moment in any goddamn romance novel. Yeah, right. And, like... Instead, this moment is used just to showcase how cucked Glacian is. Like, oh my god, put pussy god Glacian. Like, he's he crawled out of the fucking hospital. He crawled out of the hospital. Had someone wheel him all the way to this fucking event so that he could be there with his wife. And the minute he shows up, his wife is like in a fucking like love tangle with Yogmoth. And with, he's like, oh, and fuck. not even just that, but like it talks about how the stones will like reflect the image of the people on top to the city below. So it's like, oh, your cucking is an HD screen across the city. Cotton 4K. (laughs) Literally. The the climax of our love story. Pretty much. And then just glazing in the background like, excuse me? It's... It's a wild vision, this chapter. God, this chapter has so much going on. And all I want to say is, there should have been more gigs in it. Yeah. I fucking love his, his dialogue. Like, I kind of, I glanced past a lot of it, um, and for people who are either reading or listening along, God, comment, because holy fuck, I, I love just how much of a shit Gix is, but he's so right about it. He's, he, oh, there's comrade. Never, there's never a point where Gix is wrong about anything. He's, he is comrade Gix. Yeah. And like, we'll, again, get... Even more of that in chapter five. Um, yeah, because I, I know I have some things. We we made here. the connection from the dedication. How uh, J. Robert King is clearly making parallels to Soviet Russia and what happened there. And I think, I think looking at this book and what is to come and what we've already read, he's definitely trying to make parallels to like the communist uprising and things uh, like that. And like. Yog to Stalin parallels sort of things. And it's it's definitely written from the, the point of view of someone who has, like, no clue how that actually went down, probably. like I'm a history buff. There, the, God. There's... And I, I'm not even an expert. Like, I'm saying this because I know I'm not an expert and I could not talk at length about, like, that period of time, like, you know, Cold War Russia and what happened, you know, prior and up to now. Like, hey, it's a whole country. There's a really complex history there. There's a lot more nuance to just, like what a lot of people generically think Russian communism is. And I bring this up because this book feels to me like someone who who talks about the stereotype of that and is writing a book about, like, those stereotypes. Yeah, there was no uh, further research involved. Which is a shame because the setup with the Caves of the Dam has a lot of meat to it. And especially with some of the lines Gix has later, where it's just like, man, no, this is actually... 
a really interesting look at like what it takes for people for cities like Halcyon to become what they are. The Caves of the Dam is clearly the price they paid for them to have their perfect, beautiful, shining city is they're sending all of their, you know... The undesirables. Undesirables, untouchables down to the Caves of the Damned where they don't have to think about them anymore, right? Yeah. And, God, you can look at the kind of dystopian nature of that and, th- and really think about it for more than a couple minutes and go, hmm, yeah, no, there's some, there's some bad happening there, even... You know, despite yeah, it, how it looks from the outside. It don't feel good. I got bad feelings from chapter two where Yogg was like... Was it chapter two where he had to wash his feet? No, that was... Oh, uh, yeah, that was chapter two. Where he, he had to wash his feet of the earth below. And I was just like, this feels elitist. It's very. It's very elitist. And I I will say, again, the credit to J. Robert King here, that is definitely what you're supposed to think. I, yeah, I don't think It feels there's... right. And it's like... I want to have feelings about it. And I want to be like... I understand that this is symbolism in a story. Mm-hmm. But it's, it doesn't all fit together. It's very overshadowed by the fact that, like, in any other story... Yogg and Gix would be, like, the heroes. They'd be, like, the protagonists, right? And since you're coming in knowing that Yogg and Gix become, like, you know, Phyrexian demons, it makes you look at all of this build-up and go, where the fuck are you going with this? And I, I wanna... I hate to say, think it's the communism bad. Oh no, Red Scare, Red Scare. Like, like kind of very much Red Scare. And I mean... Like, this is the late 90s. Oh, yeah, this is 1999. So it's like, ah, Red Scare wasn't at its peak in this the This was 90s. a few years after, like... But, I mean, when you think of, like, our parents' generation and that sort of thing, because our parents' generation would probably be the around J. Robert King's age, I'd imagine. And so I, I feel like having heard what a lot of my parents' generation thinks of that time period, what they think of the Red Scare and that sort of thing, that's why I lean towards, I think that's a lot of how he's going into this novel and what he's writing about is it's all based on that fear and that, you know, stereotyping and not necessarily knowing finer details, just knowing, like, broad things, uh, a lot of which, like... Look, I'm is this not book s- actually saying something? Is this book actually trying to say something? Maybe. Um, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not claiming to be a history expert. I'm not even coming in here in defense of Russia in that time period, because that's a whole conversation for someone who's actually a history major. But, like, more so, I just hate the generic stereotypes about any place, if I'm going to be honest. Yeah, and, it- like, when you, you read a lot of books of this era that are definitely influenced by the Red Scare, it's hard not to kind of put the critical eye towards it and go like, hmm, what message are you trying to send here? Because Gix and the Caves of the Dam folk should be sympathetic. Yeah, like, right? Like, we here in 2022 are like, yeah, Gix, Comrade Gix. Mm-hmm. And we want him to succeed because he... That's next... Why don't, why don't, you know, why yeah, let's go into chapter, chapter five, five because, because that's going to give us some context. A really good line that Gix says that I would like to read. Oh, yeah. No, if, if I don't say it, I'll definitely let you say it because, like, there's actually a ton of really good Gix lines. But let's get to chapter five. Rebek sits upon the Thran Temple's floating foundation. In the day, it is beautiful, reflecting the radiance of the sun onto the people of Halcyon. At night, however, it becomes chilly and desolate. 
She's tried twice before to linger in this cold place through the night, but could not. She wonders if it was a fault in her design, or is there an artistic element to it that she did not intend? Tonight, she's determined to remain. She's weary and cold, but if she cannot bear the dark heart of her creation, how can she expect her city to? It's a metaphor, folks. It's a metaphor, folks. Is it? Is it, though? However, <laughs> she is interrupted from her vigil by Yagmoth, who has been calling her for some time now. The temple is designed to block out the sounds of things below, pulling free from the world, and it's shifting. Shut the fuck up for a second, Rebek, says Yagmoth. <laughs> Literally? <laughs> Enough. Yagmoth hushed gently. You sh- should spend more time with people, Rebek, and less with cold crystal. You love your ideas, your designs, but you forget whom you are designing them for. Remember this line, please. Please remember it's this not, line. It's, it won't come back. It's definitely coming back. So yeah, Yagmoth reminds her, uh, first of all, her husband is dying of a wasting disease. And second of all, remember the reason you're making this. You're making this for the people of Halcyon. It's not going to matter at all if all those people die of a wasting disease. I've got news for you, Revik, Yogg says. Uh, he would have landed the sedan chair here to get here to come grab her, but Revik doesn't want convenience here at the Foundation because that would ruin the symbolism. God. Fucking hipster. Girl. <laughs> Girl. Uh, Yogg persuades her to leave the world of symbolism behind and come please. back down to the common world below. Please, God, please. I can't handle this. Meanwhile... Gix and Glacian grouse at each other in the infirmary. Say that three times fast. Uh, Gix asks how demons could have built such a paradise as Halcyon, to which Glacian retorts that he can only call the Halcyite demons because he doesn't belong here. Halcyites built the city and belong in it. Gix's kind built what they built in the caves of the damned, and that's where they belong. Jesus fucking Christ, Glacian. (laughs) Uh, Gix correctly retorts, that they didn't build the caves. The Halcyites did. It is the dark shadow of Halcyon. One cannot build a perfect place or make a perfect life. For every good, there is a bad. To build Halcyon, the caves of the damned were made to stash everything they didn't want. This is still the world of symbolism. This is just better symbolism. Yeah, it just feels better when it's coming from Gix. It does. I love Gix. He's the only character. He's the only good character right now. He's the only one that matters in this whole book. Uh, Glacian retorts that Gix's people are murderers and thieves who gravitated towards the garbage that is the caves, to which Gix answers that they won't be garbage for much longer. They're climbing out. They're going to be looking for the people who put them there. Gix is leading the revolution, and Glacian won't be spared. Good for Gix. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Good. It is at this point Yogg arrives, noting that none of this matters because everyone's going to be doomed with the news he has to bear. He's found the cause of Pthysis, which could mean the death of everyone in Halcyon and the caves, because the cause is Power Stones. Da-da-ba-da. Um, imagine a boomer comic where it's... It's 5G. It's 5G, and people are looking at their phones, and it, they're playing Pokemon Go, but they are all slaves to the phone. And they're poisoning their souls. But it's true. <laughs> but, but, but this time it's true. But this time that's actually what's happening. Um, it turns out, in great concentration, their energies are toxic. It prevents natural healing in large quantities. And though every creature probably has some resistance to it, and some may be immune, most people can have that resistance worn down by constant exposure. 
This means that Halcyon is killing its citizens by exposing them to so many power stones, and at the same time, the mana rig down below the city has infected people in the Caves of the Damned. I actually look at this, I know we're making the 5G joke, but this to me actually plays like how, oh, like how we didn't know lead poisoning was a thing for the longest time, and we use lead in just about everything. Yeah. Or like how car exhaust used to be way worse before there were some regulations put into place because people didn't know, like, smoke bad for lungs. This, so this doesn't really read to me like a boomer moment. This reads to me like a, hey, you used this technology without thinking about it, and now there's going to be consequences, and you need to deal with those consequences and find a way around that. And Yogg in particular, like, he, he definitely doesn't want to go away from magic. He doesn't want to go away from the Power Stone usages. He, he sees a lot in Halcyon that is worth keeping and fighting for. It's just the, he, the kind of thing where it's like, well, you need to deal with this, though, because everyone's going to fucking yeah, like, die. Like, yeah, yeah, at this point. At this point. So, essentially, continuing on, uh, Rebic points out that she's been fine despite working on the temple for years, to which Yogg mentions that hopefully she's immune. Glacian protests, Yogg has to be lying through his fucking teeth. They've lived with power stones for thousands of years, and Yogg won't convince him to stop using them anytime soon. This is another kind of point of contention that makes me think of, like, you know, lead or smoking or things like that. I was like, I smoked cigarettes my whole life, and I don't have lung cancer. And I'm living until I'm a million. Yeah, go fuck yourself. (laughs) Don't smoke, people. I can't believe I'm saying this in 2022. Uh, My word is... Be responsible. Be responsible. Well, like, it's the kind of thing... I'm, I'm about to get to my, my cigarette talk for two seconds. If you're gonna smoke, don't smoke around other people. Yeah, make sure make sure you're uh, not subjecting other people don't to Don't subject it. other people, and also consider that that causes lung cancer. Consider I, it. I, I want my listeners to live long, healthy lives. <laughs> consider that power stones are killing you, and you need to stop using your phone. Not me smoking. Uh, I don't smoke cigarettes, though. But yeah, no, that's that's a that, that's not what I'm talking about. Oh no, I know. <laughs> All right, so Glacian's protesting. They've lived with power stones for thousands of years, and Yogg's not going to convince him to stop using them anytime soon. Uh, Yogg swears, despite that all, he's going to find a cure for pisses. Holy fuck. No, you're right for mispronouncing it. Go on. I'm never going to say it right. (laughs) So that everyone can live in the city and humanity can leap into the future rather than cowering from it. Uh, Glacian still doesn't believe Yogg, though. So Yogg enacts a demonstration. He essentially strips Gix, (laughs) poor guy, and presses a power stone to Gix's bare skin, causing the skin beneath to uh, crack and turn brown. Slowly, the corruption starts spreading across his body until Rebek forces Yogg to pull the stone away. Rebek reminds him, much as he reminded her before, to remember the people of the city he's trying to find a cure for. And then, God, I, I want to read the actual passage here because uh, I have it. The, the the ending to this book or the ending of this chapter is something else. So I, I will let you because I have from no she gasped. Okay, yes, please, please do because how this chapter ends is so what the fuck. <laughs> No, she gasps, staring incredulously at the man's fist. Let go, you're hurting me. You're hurting him. Maybe you're our only hope. Maybe you'll find the cure, but don't forget the people you're finding the cure for. There's one more callback, I swear to God. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to continue reading this. Yes. Those words seemed to stab into Yagmoth. His clenched fingers trembled on her wrist. Then suddenly he released her hand, rose, and strode to the door. 
He paused a moment before striding through, turning back towards the woman and his two patients. Haunted eyes stared at Rebek, and he said simply, Yes. What does that mean, Yagmoth? That's the end of the chapter. What is he responding to? I read this part, like my first read-through and this read-through. I read this part multiple times. Is he saying yes to, he's hurting you? Is he saying yes to, you're our only hope? hope? Yeah. You'll find the cure? Is he saying yes to, don't forget the people you're finding the cure for? We don't know. I I have a thought. thought. Maybe he's thinking back, having like flashbacks to the caves of the damned the quarantine people because he had such a fucking raw reaction to that. Maybe what is in your heart, Yog? What is in your heart? Please I need to know this. I I think like any editor worth their salt who is looking at this should have caught this because this to me is like a, a nonsense answer. I feel like it's supposed to be. It, it, it was supposed to have weight. It was supposed to be the, the zinger before the end of the chapter. Because I say shit like this. You do. But like, you say this when something ridiculous has happened and you don't know what to say in response, right? Yes. But, but Rebic clearly had something of substance to say. This is like you, you helping to me and saying, like, remember, remember who you're doing this for. And I just look you like just dead in the face and go, yes. Yeah, with that fucking, like, dead, horrified look. Like, just like, yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes, you understand? Yes. Yes, what? what? It's... Oh, it, man. I feel like he had two tangents going on. Yogmoth has ADHD headcanon and had two <laughs> tangents going on in his head and it was like... Answering his own question in his, in his head. You know how he talks out loud? He forgot to talk out loud that time. <laughs> yeah, it was just one of those times he forgot. Yeah, like, God, I don't know. This chapter has so much going for it and so much not going for it that I'm... What are your thoughts? Give me, give me some of your thoughts, Sonny. Get, let's get in the meat of this. Okay. Again, I'm still confused at... The characters, like, I understand Rebecca wants to ascend. <laughs> yeah. Glacian <laughs> wants to be the smart one and mm-hmm. also by Rebecca's side. Yeah. What are Yogmoth's motivations? They're complex. Like, I, because it's, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm having such a hard, like, I'm, thoroughly amused. I'm having a great time reading this. Do not get me wrong. <laughs> but I want to have thoughts, but I can't. Like, you just hit a point where in this book you accept that you're never gonna not be confused. Yeah, and like, sometimes like that yes makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, sure. Say yes and horrified look. Maybe, maybe... I feel like it's the kind of thing where there's a subconscious part of my brain that knows what he was going for, and I could not vocalize it to save my life. Yeah. Because like, it... It's not the worst dialogue I've ever read. It's not the worst description of things I've ever read. It's just off enough where I'm like, J. Robert King, your editor needed another pass at that, man. Yeah, it... Yeah, no, because it just... It's competent enough for it to be an easy read. And 
But when you start thinking about it, it starts falling apart. Like, Mm -hmm. and and it's, you're being led to think in certain ways. Mm -hmm. But sometimes they either fall short or it just doesn't mesh with, I think, the intent of the author. Yeah. And it's, it's just so confusing and kind of frustrating to see this you know i just kind of had this thought in my brain of when i was in like high school i took a couple creative writing classes because that's the thing i enjoy doing and um first of all shout out to my creative writing teacher who put up with just the most horrendous band of maniacs ever to grace those halls Um, and your naruto rewrites no that wasn't in that class that's that's like that's like now that's me now you're calling me out now no i mean i just feel it feels <laughs> you you're like i have this problematic media and i'm going to fix it you know that's fair but like no creative writing as a class was essentially teaching us various writing styles teaching us like there there was a point where we looked at advertisements, for example, and it was like, what makes a good advertisement? What makes something eye-catching that'll, you know, help you remember what it is being sold? That'll, you know, talk about jingles and things like that. And, like, that was all part of creative writing. And I know there were quite a few assignments uh, where it was either you're working with a partner and you're, you know, exchanging and proofreading each other's work. But sometimes it would be like, all right, you guys are writing something collaborative. Because writers sometimes have to write collaboratively. This book sometimes feels like it was written by two people who did not mesh in the slightest. Or, like, communicated. Like, they didn't talk to each other. Like, they they were like, I'm going to write this chapter, you write this chapter. I'm, I'm going to write this half of this chapter, and you're going to write the other half, and we're going to just mash it together and let the editor solve the problem. Imagine Good Omens if it wasn't written by... The- some yeah, of the yeah. most talented writers. Yeah, exactly. It's like good omens, but like written by amateurs. <laughs> yeah, but like they, they saw what they did <laughs> and they're like, we can do that. But they hated each other. Yeah, they hated each other and also were, were not good at like getting their ideas on paper. Yeah, because they're, again, it's competent in many, many ways. I'm not, I'm gonna like, J. Robert King isn't a bad writer. Yeah, it's this like, isn't a badly written book but it is this isn't my immortal this is kind of on the level like if you're gonna like you know yell at the the fanfic side of things this kind of does read like a fan fiction but not like the low end of the spectrum this feels like a above par fanfic one which... that would have like a following that would yeah. have like people actively asking like hey when's the next update coming on like and especially too with how the chapters end because there's a zinger at the end of every chapter there's always a zinger and that to me is so indicative of like a fan fiction format because like a lot of how people maintain a reader base is, is like all right i'm gonna publish a chapter but there needs to be like a hook to ensure people are curious about the next chapter, right? And I'm, I yes, and it kind of helps with our format too because mm-hmm. it it's almost episodic. Yeah, it's very episodic, and like, I mean, speaking from experience, because yes, I've I've written fan fiction. Oh God, I'm admitting that. Don't worry, I have too. But like, you know, mine in particular, like, 
It's not a humble brag, because God help me, why would I brag about this? But yes, my fanfiction has quite a decent following. I'm sorry I haven't updated in like a year. But like, part of I think what kept my reader base going was I did learn that format of at the end of every chapter, you do kind of have to have a little zing to the next one to make people think about it. Or you do have to have like a kind of climactic little stinger at the end of things. I think in TV shows, that's a thing that can happen sometimes, especially if you want your readers to keep going. Um, this is why there are end credit scenes at the ends of every fucking movie nowadays, is because you need the stinger to make you think about the next bit. This book definitely reads like every chapter has to have a stinger like that. Yeah. But it's like, but the whole book is here, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's like, we have it. I mean, definitely, because thinking to um, Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. how that was serialized. Yes. But I don't know, because this is 99, and we have TV shows that probably do this at that point. Is he emulating TV? Because... I I almost want to say no, because having read some of the fantasy from that era, I think that was kind of just a thing. And this is not even necessarily a critique. Like, there is something to be said for chapter stingers, because, like, not everybody's going to read a book in one sitting, right? So having a chapter stinger is a good place for you to, you know, maybe you go back a a page before you start reading again the next day and you want a reminder of where you were at. That makes sense. And the stingers are a pretty good transition to that. But, like, they are heavy-handed in this book. (laughs) Yeah. I I wrote uh, with the... A callback to what Yogg said earlier to what Rebecca says. If there's another parallel callback, <laughs> if there's one more, I'm not gonna say a word. I'm not gonna say a word. <laughs> my exact words. Another parallel callback to what the other said to them. It was cute the first time, and I'll let the second time pass. But I swear to God, if there's more, I'm gonna be real upset. I'm gonna say nothing. Oh God. <laughs> Please save me. Oh, uh, no. You're in it. You're in it with me. You chose this ride. Because it's... It's... It was fun the first time as an introduction. Look, all you have to do is just focus on our boy, our comrade Gix, Gix. Who is actually the only, only person in this book. The only one. Oh, but we still have to deal with the others. No, it's... If you read this book for anything, like, let it be for Gix's dialogue, because holy crap, this man is hysterical. I love him. I want to hug him. Uh, even though he's disease-ridden, I would still hug him. I'd hug Gix. I'd hug Gix. I would. I think he needs some compassion in I his think, life. I think he needs some compassion and also a knife for the revolution. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think, you know, we maintained it in chapter one, where thank God somebody stabbed Glacian. He kind of needed it. And, you know, still on that train. I think, I think he still needs... Uh, a lesson. Yeah, I think at least he didn't learn his lesson. I think his brain's too huge. It's no more room. <laughs> brain blast! Oh. It... <laughs> this is a book. I will say, I did enjoy seeing the darker side to Yogmoth. Mm-hmm. That was kind of cool. <laughs> I, oh no. I... <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Don't look at me like Oh no. <laughs> it was kind of cool. I will... Because... It's been... Well, because we never have... Even with the prologue, that wasn't the darker side of him because it was too goofy. It was way comical. Like, seeing a bit more of him actually, like, tangentially being a, a villain when he's in the Caves of the Damned and being, like, a bit more, like, 
the confident planner, like the one who's always going to be a little bit of a step ahead. Like, that's interesting. I definitely wish that the author could have kept that vibe. Yeah, it's... I I want to imagine a world where Yawgmoth has these genuine moments, but is somewhat off. We need a we, we I want need a Patrick good... Bateman to I need we need that like something we that's want a good corruption. We want a good corruption arc is yeah. kind of the part of it where it's like well you, you know there's there's a part of me that um so it's again spoilers but I've talked about it at length like eventually in the book it's revealed that when Yogg was in exile he he committed a bunch of war crimes right and it's supposed to be the the big reveal that Yogg was a shitty person the whole time and I think there's merit to that plot but I would actually be kind of interested in a plot where that wasn't the case yeah and you just see him getting corrupted by the power that he eventually comes into that w- I think that would be a much more interesting story rather mm-hmm. than having this play like is he acting a part is he mm-hmm. i mean certainly he's probably acting but there's moments of genuine joy that he has of i don't think he's acting i think that's yeah because it feels bit. so genuine and i'm like it, or rather i think the author if the if J. Robert king was writing him as acting he didn't know how to do a good job of it because yeah, it, it's definitely again i say we're going to get to the point where all of this stuff in his you know exile is going to be revealed and it's like a fucking heel turn of character yeah because to put it in like magic terms he reads as a red black mm-hmm. to me in like these romance novel scenes yeah it's like he's a very passionate individual and like there is a I mean, I would even go so far as to say there's initially a very kind of line between selfish and selfless to his initial why he came to Halcyon at all. Because it's like, yeah, he could have just said no. He could have just said no. But like, admittedly, I can see the selfish part of his character just wanting to not be in exile anymore and wanting to prove them all wrong. Like, aha, you fucking morons. I was right the whole time. And that feels mostly more like what it's going for there. And, like, in terms of also how he treats Glacian, for sure. But then he didn't have to bring Gix up. He didn't have to go to the Caves of the Damned. Like, it's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, I'm looking for the source of the disease. There is a merit to that from, like, a biomedical standpoint. But if you've got someone who actively has the disease, you don't need to bring up another person who has it. You have your patient zero, right? Like, and sure... I mean, Gix may not even be patient zero is the thing where it's like, oh, Gix is just the one who stabbed him. You can go down there, confirm Gix is also diseased like Glacian is. Yeah, he probably caught it from one of the other diseased. Yeah, and that's all you need. You don't need to be cutting up a second patient in your fucking mad scientist lab. But like, he does bring Gix up and like, Gix is getting better. Do you think it's because Gix isn't human? No, he is. He... He is. Why, why would you, why would you think he's not? I don't know. He just seemed like a little devil guy to me. <laughs> no, he's human. If if he's human, <laughs> then this changes everything. Does it? No. <laughs> but it feels like it did. <laughs> no, he's he's human. I mean, he's human for now. <laughs> I mean, I guess. <laughs> like you already know he's gonna become a little Phyrexian boy later, but I like... don't know what I I guess when I heard Caves of the Damned, I was like, this little demon guy. 
You're just thinking like, like literal hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Satan's down there. His name is Gix. Look, I have my own prefab in my mind. No, he's human. <laughs> okay, that makes things different then. I'm still going to be drawing him as a demon though. Because <laughs> that is how I saw him. God, I love this just accidental headcanon. <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's this extra race on Dominaria. That's just he, a said little he, demon. Was, he said he was a twisted little man. I'm like, maybe he's just a little fucked up and not quite human. <laughs> no, he's just twisted. Just... <laughs> just... Because I, I can't see this little Danny DeVito guy. Oh, my God. I can't. You know, you, you live in a world. I do live in a, my own kind of world. It's not easy being green. It's not. And you know what? And I'm not green. You're not green. And we're going to let's let's transition to uh, talking about some of the some of the more recent news in Magic the Gathering. Yeah, let's let's let's. Oh, before we move on, our assigned reading for next time, I was thinking there are three chapters left in part one. uh, So we would do six through eight. Makes sense. So for those who are just caring about the chapter summaries and don't care about the, uh, you know, modern news, recent news, uh, we will be shifting here. But for next week, please, please follow along with us and read chapters six through eight of The Thran. Good luck. All right. So let's talk about recent Magic the Gathering news, of which there's... A little bit going on, I would say. So, as we mentioned in the last podcast, uh, Streets New Capenna has uh, finally been released. Uh, we, uh, the two of us and some friends, played with some of the pre-con commander decks, and uh, boy howdy! So, I tuned up my Maestro's deck. Like the the cards for that actually came in, and it still success. Oh no! <laughs> uh, I think it'll do better in four player rather than one v one. But like, eh, like my thoughts on the set are. There's there was an interesting idea. I don't know if the cards lived up to it in my brain, but like for me and my playstyle, the cabarettis like I feel like the cabarettis were done justice. Yeah, no, you it you feels were fun. Yeah, you had a good time with the cabaretti, and I, I could tell you love the the token generation and, and making uh, making angry little kitties and <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely I'm taking the precon and shaping it to have Janine as my commander and it being. Animorphs. Just Animorphs. The elf druids being Animorphs. Mm-hmm. Citizens become cats and dogs. And that's it. Citizen become dog. The Basically. New, the new David Cage. And game. that's my <laughs> cabaretti party deck. It's a fun it's deck. It. No, your, your deck is fun. Uh, Maestro's uh, with Angelo as the commander is uh, spell slinging and copying. And what I tried to do, because the actual precon for it is like... It's a pre-con. It's very, like, middle of the road. And so when I tuned it, um, I wanted it to be more Maestro's cards, because there's a lot of Maestro's cards that are not in the pre-con because they want you to buy packs. Uh, so I just went and bought them like a sane human being. And, like, I think me leaning into Maestro's tribal, so to speak, uh, does make it a little weaker than it could be. But, like, I added some stuff that's, like, oh, more consistent copying, more consistent, like, good spells that are able to do, like, some actual damage or some actual, like, you know card draw yeah. and effects with that. And this is a, a change for you it in is the a change colors I, and play style. I mean, I am a red-black player, and this adds blue to the mix. And I've, I've been very... I squint at blue. I'm not 
super fond of like counterspell playing and things like that. So a lot of what I did with this deck is not a lot of counterspells. Um, just because I like, I'm not saying it's not compelling gameplay. It's just not my thing. Um, and then the original precon deck had a lot of copying opponents' cards, and it's it's infamous among my group. I fucking hate copying. If I can copy my own things, and you can copy your own things, but the minute you copy my things, fucking play your own deck, motherfucker. That's, that's, these are my cards. <laughs> my cards. You're not going to have them. I fucking hate copy players. I hate them. I know this is a hot take. I'd hate them more than stacks. I'd rather not play at all than have my shit copied. I, that that is my hot hot goblin mind take. Yeah, that's fair. So I cut those cards the fuck out of the precon and put in stuff that I find more compelling. And realized upon trying it out with my fiance yesterday that the the meta we've kind of established is about a step above what I've made that deck to be, which is like okay, this is the most mid range I've ever made. Um, might might be better one on one with like what your fairies are at the moment. Oh, okay, um, yeah, that, that might um, might be fun to try out. But either way, like I still had fun, uh, but I do think there's going to be a lot of people who are very middle of the road with this set. Yeah, I can I can see why. Um, I just really really like the like the flavor of it. Like, because yeah. you can have. I guess I guess this is just all magic, but like you can have this theme and have it work in a whole deck, and it just being a cohesive kind of thing. And I find that so fun. Like a lot of players will yell at Tribal, um, and I mean, we we've talked about yeah. one of our other buddies who's very just like, why the fuck would you play Tribal? That's boring. And it's like, I do because me, it's a because I like themes because I want to be the Yu-Gi-Oh player and on top of that like you know part of the reason we're doing this podcast at all is there's so much fun lore and there's so much to characters and like I went in like you know I'm not making a spell slinging copy deck specifically I'm making a maestros deck because I loved the flavor of the maestros they literally mimicked the D&D character I have going right now where it's just like the artistic assassin and I, yeah. I saw that like group and I was just like ooh I'm gonna get all up in that group's but I'm gonna get in there. I'm gonna make a deck. I'm, I don't care how good or bad it is. I want that deck just because it's aesthetically cool. And like, I think I might have even mentioned it last time on the last episode. But like, God, my only complaint with Streets of New Capenna and the story is that I wanted more of it. I feel like there just was There's not so enough much to time. it. There, I want there more. needed more. And speaking of more, <laughs> so in a in a surprise twist on May third, we got more. Not to do with Nuka though. Yeah, it's weirdly <laughs> about Phyrexia. New Phyrexia, right? We got a short story drop on May 3rd, A Garden of Flesh. And I want to talk about this short story because I have a lot of thoughts. So first of all, again, this got dropped with like no prior warning. Like I, I literally just saw the article on my like Reddit feed and everyone was just like, wait, there's a new short story? Like, like why? Like, what? Like why is this here? I think this is my... So I've been reading the short stories since Crimson Vow came out, because that's about when I got into the series. And of all of the short stories that I've read so far, or the, you know, the chapter bits, this is my favorite one, bar none. Let's talk about it. So first of all, absolute legend of a, light, a writer, Laura Gray. I'm, sh- I'm putting some shout outs to them because holy fucking shit. <laughs> Let's talk about the story. It is centered around Elish Norn, who is the white Phyrexian Praetor, and white as in the mana color. <laughs> And is also very ivory in color. And also just white, like, in general. Um, But, like, so 
Uh, from what little I know of New Phyrexia, there's a Praetor for every color because of how New Phyrexia got formed. And Elishnorn is probably the most Borgish of the Borg. Um, a lot of how she's written, especially here, it, it's very cult-like. It very much, um, the, this opening scene of her in the story describing, like, the conversion process of, of one of the Mirins and, like, what that process is, it very much looks like... I mean, we dropped the lore last episode that I'm Catholic. It felt like a fucking Catholic mass. Oh, wow. Like, it, there, there's some lines of it that, that blur into uh, what mass feels like to me. And Man, so, I, who would have known that Phyrexians were just Catholic? God, I mean, a little bit. So, it's the story starts, uh, spoilers, I guess. Uh, I would say, before I go into this even more, if you have not gone and read the short story... Go read it. It's actually really fun, in my opinion, and, and one okay. of the better short stories. That you sit down. No, <laughs> you don't. You you had your you had two weeks. Okay, okay, no, you had a week. It came out a week ago. Yeah, be be nice to me. I'll be nice to you. All right. So, uh, spoiler tags done. Let's get into the story. So it starts with essentially Elish Norn and a ceremony of conversion. Uh, she has all of her Phyrexians, and she's looking out over them from her dais. Uh, so fucking. Dias is, is a term I've only heard religiously. I think this is part of why I keep looking at this like it feels like a mass. Like there's a lot, uh, I mean, it's called the machine orthodoxy, a lot of stuff. Like she talks about her body feeling sacred and mechanized. Like there's so many words that are definitely plays on like cult words and religious words, etc. Um, and the basilica uh, where she resides is described as cathedrals. So taking that in mind, uh, you're setting the scene. You've got the Phyrexian mass who are watching Elishnorn herself has come to personally convert this uh, rebel Mirin. Um, as far as I'm aware, the Mirins are the humans who are still fighting to try and reclaim New Phyrexia and make it Mirrodin again. But that's all I know, so don't don't judge me for what I do and don't know. Uh, she starts goobing her, her glistening oils all over this person, but something goes horribly wrong. Uh, instead of becoming a, a beautiful, mechanized Phyrexian, uh, greenery starts growing from within this woman's body and eventually, like, That's overtakes. It's, it's, there, there's body horror here. Like, I guess trigger warning for anybody who doesn't like body horror. Maybe don't read this one. But, like, there, there is some pretty definitive body horror here. Um, and, like, on top of that, um, there's, there's a bit of a... Immediate foreshadowing of while this whole ritual is happening, and it, uh, the sky behind is starting to darken. It's usually very pale, and uh, it darkening it all is a little bit weird. So keeping that in mind. All right, she's trying to convert this Mirin, and um, roots and wood are starting to burst forth, like, Xenomorph-style from the human's belly, like, just all of this greenery and stuff like that, which is very anti-Phyrexia. Like, they're all about the artificial. And Elish Norn is, like... What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> this has never happened in all of her time. Like, every time she's ever converted someone, it's been this perfect, beautiful process. Like, she ends up killing the Mirren uh, before, you know, the roots finish exploding or whatever. And, like, she makes the comment of this this never should have happened. And the chants of the Phyrexians around her falter. Uh, they're also kind of confused. And, I mean, keep in mind, like, they are sort of technically supposed to be a hive mind. And I will talk more about how this is portrayed in length. But, like, Norn tries to kind of wave it off her. It's just like, hey, look at this bitch. She was corrupted. That's why we have to take care of these mirrors, right? Look at how gross this is. Look at all right. this. this Making an example. Making an it. example. 
but even as she says it, she's fighting to compose herself because her, her oil shouldn't have failed. This is something that's never happened before. And there's a whole long scene as she's walking through the basilica where she's she's thinking to herself, like, what the fuck went wrong? Like, is there something, you know, wrong with the person that this is a new development? And like, or is this something wrong with her? And as she's walking around, she's she's seeing other green things start to appear in the, the beautiful white basilica pavement. Like, roots start growing up from the ground and starting to overtake, and she's just like, what the fuck is this? It's organic, it's hideous, it's offensive. And as she reaches to pluck it out of the wood, she realizes that it's connected to flesh. Oh, And she starts, oh. she starts pulling up roots, and there's like a whole human forearm like attached to some of the vines <laughs> no. and stuff like that. And she's just, she's getting to the point where she's just like pulling weeds and pulling weeds. She's ripping out so many weeds from the marble, marble, and at the same time, she's just seeing herself like, "What the fuck is happening? Like my basilica was perfect. It was beautiful. I've never had anything happen like this before." And she's, she's starting to feel doubt. Like, could she be malfunctioning? Is she, but that's impossible. She's the mother of machines. She's infallible. She's perfect. And like. Then she remembers something, and there's a really interesting kind of uh, kind of thought process that leads to um, what's going on here, where she thinks to herself, "There's got to be like a logical explanation for this," and she eventually has a memory of witnessing some of the Mirans who were captured after their insurrection sleeping in their holding cells, and Phyrexians don't sleep. So she remembers looking at them oddly as they had nightmares, nightmares in their singular weak minds. And, you know, the orthodoxy is supposed to purge them of things like nightmares when they get integrated into being Phyrexians, right? Uh, Phyrexians don't dream. Phyrexians are anchored in reality. They're predictable. They're righteous. And then Elishnor is realizing this is a nightmare. Oh, no. Oh, no. She realizes this world isn't hers. She looks upwards to where the sky has grown so dark, and she says a single name, Ashiok. So Ashiok, uh, I don't know much about them, other than until this point they didn't have any pronouns and just went by Ashiok, which yeah, I think is weird. hysterical writing. Uh, they are they, they, are they them. That, that, is, that is now the, that's now the norm. We don't have to dance around pronouns anymore when talking about Ashiok. Uh, Ashiok, as far as I know anything about them, um, they're a planeswalker, and they fucking love nightmares and causing them and using nightmares to make illusion creatures that they can control and manipulate. And bondage gear. And bondage gear. Uh, yeah, no, they, they look a little bush. <laughs> <laughs> they, they remind me of, like, the, um, the, the, the Cetabites and Hellraiser a little bit. Like, uh, they got a bit You're of that. saying things that I don't know. Oh, right, okay, hold on, hold on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull it up. Uh, I'm gonna pull up a picture because you, you you don't know that you know what I'm talking about. Um, hold on, I'm pulling I'm pulling up I'm pulling up a picture of Pinhead. Oh, never mind. If you just say Pinhead, yeah, fucking look at look at this Pinhead. Yeah, Pinhead. Yeah, Pinhead. That that he he's they're called Cenobites. Where he, where he's from? Just call it Pinhead. Hey, okay, it's fucking Pinhead. But yeah, <laughs> Ashiok gives me a bit of the Pinhead vibes. So. That's about all I know of Ashiok, and apparently there's not a ton known about Ashiok, according to my fiancé. Like, they showed up in Elspeth's Theros story, I think I'm saying that right, and caused nightmares and did some shit. We'll we'll get there when we get there. Um, Essentially, Ashiok, when traipsing through Elspeth's nightmares, because Elspeth uh, in her youth was captured and enslaved by Phyrexians, and that's kind of her trauma, uh, learned about the Phyrexians. And Ashiok, this motherfucker, was like, hmm, these Phyrexians seem pretty scary. I bet their nightmares are fucking rad. 
I mean, more power to you, honestly. So fucking. You have a you have a theme, and you just As go she into like, it. Fucking comes to New Phyrexia, and looks at Ella Schnorn and goes, "Does she look like a bitch?" <laughs> and crafts this nightmare scape, makes the fucking white praetor herself doubt her ability to be a praetor, and then fucking upon getting called out, reveals himself. And it's like, so Elshnorn's heard of Ashiok. Um, the Praetors, at this point, I feel like I've heard of fucking everyone. Uh, except for Elspeth, as we'll learn. Um, but, like, calls him out and is just like, you motherfucker, how fucking dare you? This was your doing. What the fuck? What are you doing here? What is your problem? And Ashiok's just like, eh, I was just fucking around. I wanted to see if this would work. And holy shit, it worked. Did you see this shit? And, like, you <laughs> fucking fell for it? You fell for you it. Bit get fucking stick bugged Elish Norn holy fuck and Elish Norn is like I'm gonna kill you we we you're a dumb bitch we don't fear what are you talking about we don't have nightmares we are perfection but what was that we're not weak and Ashiok's like no what the fuck was that though also what the fuck is this and there's a scene uh there is a scene and Ashiok talks about Elspeth uh essentially says she caught my attention, and I sought her out in the underworld. Her fear of Phyrexians was glorious, simply breathtaking. How could my curiosity not have been piqued? What kind of artist would I be if I did not seek out such an opportunity to hone my craft, to test it on such a being as yourself? What would a Phyrexian nightmare be like? And it's at that point Elish Norn does remember she's seen Elspeth before. I guess Elspeth um, tried a failed assault on the Basilica, um, and so Elish Norn didn't know she'd escaped from the failed assault, and now knows this. And uh, Ashiok kind of teases her about it. It's like, yeah, no, this small, inconsequential human escaped the machine orthodoxy. You're in, not infallible after all. And Norn is like, You're, that's fucking irrelevant. Like, get the fuck out of here. I don't want to have to deal with you. And she reaches out to the Phyrexians she's connected with. And Ashiok kind of falters because the connection is messing with their depiction of the nightmare and what's going on here and Norna's like you know hey we're not gonna abide by your bullshit any longer and literally summons Phyrexians into her consciousness to display into the nightmare as like warriors to fight off against Ashiok oh, wow. which is pretty th th rad as fuck scene I'm telling you yeah that's kind of cool with the hive mind aspect it is and Ashiok's like oh my god I didn't fucking put these here how the fuck did you do that and Norda's like we are one did you think we could be so easily controlled with a fucking nightmare and Ashiok summons in some illusions and the Phyrexians and the illusions fight and in the middle of that uh, Norn kind of goes to aim for Ashiok, but this uh, twisted thing that looks a bit like Elspeth raises from the ground, and that's what ends up finding, fighting uh, Elish Norn. And there's a point where, as she raises up, um, Norn realizes that Elspeth's kind of mimicking her. And it's kind of, a, I, I think, a really poignant scene where it's just like, uh, it's a twisted reflection of herself, but it's just so human. Oh, yeah. that's gross. Oh, no. Oh, ew, icky, icky impure, imperfect, impossible. And, and she realizes that despite it all, the planeswalker has made her feel like, you know, she's imperfect and this just really cannot stand. And like, Norn and the Phyrexians defeat the illusions and uh, Norn turns to Ashiok and before Ashiok can get nerfed, Ashiok's like, all right, okay, all right, I can't fucking deal with you. You were quite the fucking canvas. This was a good time. I'm out of here. I've learned a lot. Thank you. Have a nice day. Have a nice day. And Ashiok fucks off. But the 
illusion of Elspeth lingers for a minute, and Norn kind of watches as the illusion eventually quakes and crumbles away. And like, but before, this is straight from the text, but just before the vision of Elspeth disintegrated, she opened her eyes and met Norn's gaze. She looked at Norn with such human pity, with such horrid sympathy, that Norn couldn't breathe. Ooh. And with that, Elish Norn is now convicted. She's got conviction, not convicted. She's got conviction. She's going to purge this new emotion she's feeling, this fear and uncertainty. And in order to do so, she's going to find Elspeth and rid the multiverse of her. And that's how this ends. Uh-oh. And this ties in some of the stuff with the New Capenna story, where um, I think it was uh, Urbrask who was like, yeah, no, uh, fucking Elish Norn is terrified, of, or not tell her, terrified of Elspeth, but once Elspeth dead. And we're all kind of sitting here like, huh, like, why does Elish Norn give a shit about Elspeth all of a sudden? And this is the reason why. That's um, poignant. Really poignant. Like I said, this this was a really fascinating short story, and I also want to give kudos again to the author for how they get into Elish Norn's head. Because I, I think a really fascinating key aspect is whenever Elish Norn speaks, she's speaking as we. Uh, we are Phyrexians. And like we the royal the we. It's the royal we because, like I said, they're, they're kind of the hive mind. They're all as one, et cetera, et cetera. But when you're in her head, it's she. She's referring to herself. Oh, wow. And there's something to be said. Like, I, I've seen a couple people go, oh, well, it would be really difficult to understand if it was we all the time, blah, blah, blah. Like, you'd have to refer to her in third person, right? But I'm like, no, I think it's more poignant that internally there's an individual in there. Yeah. I think that's like, a really interesting contradiction to how the Phyrexians operate, like a purposeful one. Yeah, as much as you try to Borg something, like you can't erase the individual beneath the multitudes. And I think that's the whole thing that the short story is getting to, is they're, they're setting up some really interesting parallels between Elspeth and Elish Norn. And while I don't know much about either of them, I'm looking at this plot going, ooh, this feels juicy, even though I don't get the full like context of it, right? Like, yeah. it's something that just has me going, ooh, I, I want to see where this goes. I want to see how these two maybe parallel each other in strange ways. Yeah, could like, this be like a teaser for something new? Or do you think it was just a... I think it's helping set up what is looking like inevitably going to be coming. So I, I've mentioned before that there was an Avengers style plot line for Magic the Gathering. Oh, that was the War, War of the Spark. Spark, right? I think they're gonna they're trying to do a do-over for that because War of the Spark, uh, as far as I know, was uh, bad. Can't wait to read that Can't one. Can't wait to read that. Um I think they're trying to set up New Phyrexians War of the Spark instead of Nickel Bolas War of the Spark. Um and it definitely because with New Capenna, we have Urabrask, who looks like he might be on, carrying on Gix's revolution. Good on him. <laughs> and he is red. Oh, you good. Know, it matches up. Um, we have, from Kamigawa, uh, Jin Kataxi has finally completed a Planeswalker Tamiyo, which is something where the Phyrexians always have wanted to Planeswalk and never could, because the process of completion destroys the soul, and what makes you Planeswalk is tied to your soul. But as we saw, mm. there's still a little bit in there. It's true. Right? Like, with that individual? That, that That's something to consider, I suppose. But, like, I guess definitively up until um, Yokamagawa, whatever in the soul or body that allowed a planeswalker to be was destroyed with the completion process. But using, like, what I guess is implied to be spirit magic taken from, you know, Neo Kamigawa, uh, they found a way to complete Tamiyo. So she's now a Phyrexian who can also planeswalk. That's kind of a huge deal. So that's going to be a setup for, you know, she was once on the side of a lot of the planeswalkers and is now going to probably be an enemy. And there's going to be a lot of, like, probably drama to do with that, I imagine. So... We'll see as we go. This is something that we'll passively keep up on even as we're reading because, you know, these short stories are being released as we go. And I like talking about them. Um, I'm really 
throwing some kudos to Wizards of the Coast for allowing a non-binary author to write a non-binary planeswalker. God I think bless. that was a good move on their part. And also they were just a really good writer. Like I, I said, definitely go read um, the short stories called Garden of Flesh. And boy, I think that was my favorite short story by far. I think I've already said that. But like, wow. Enjoyed the hell out of it. Really good story. I hope there's more of that quality. I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, what other news is there? I don't think there's super much. Um, I occasionally browse the um, the magic reddits, the magic tags, things like that. Um, but like, I think in general, um, I don't know. People are still talking about New Capenna. They're still talking about that release. Um, who could blame them? It's a new set, but. Huh, we'll we'll see if any new short stories pop up. I will definitely be keeping a lookout and um, I don't know. Comment if you guys have anything you know for recent news that you want us to talk about, and we'll talk about it. Yeah, if you care about our opinions. If you care about our opinions. If you care about what I think about um, anything. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm good talker. I'm good talk. I think that's it for the podcast. Um, like I said before, next. Episode two weeks from now will be chapter six through eight of the Thran and whatever else our little gremlin hearts latch on to. I am your host signing off, Marina. And I'm Sunny. And I hope you all have a pleasant week. And uh, See you next time. May your hands always have enough lands. Amen. Amen. Thank you.